Ephesians 5, 22 through 6, 4. Uh, we won't read the passage again. So last week we started a new endeavor on our, our, our recovering the biblical family. Um, and we, we began to peel back the layers of the family and are focusing on marriage. And we went even further as we were looking at the marriage and we spent most of our time. Well, we looked at both the roles of the husband and the wife. And remember, the two roles made up what? One purpose, right? The, the marriage is for one purpose, for the glory of our triune God. And it comes together through the two roles that are given, one to the man and one to the woman, one to the husband, one to the wife. Uh, Sunday night, we used a, a metaphor of canoeing to help us understand the role of the husband and the wife. For those of you who have uh, been on a canoe trip with your spouse, uh, you realize that there is a place of... Um, leadership in the canoe and there's a place of submission in the canoe and the leader steers controls from the rear right and the one who is in front is submitting to the leadership and direction of the one who is steering and directing from the rear and what happens when the person in the rear gives up their role the one in the front has a whole lot of work to do it's impossible. Almost nearly. Now, you might be floating the lazy buffalo. You might be able to canoe from the front. You get on the Spring River, you might have a little bit of difference of how it works out for you. So the one who leads on the canoe must lead and lead well. And the one who is in the front is there not to just sit back and relax, but to help and to work in in uh, submission to the one that is directing from the back and they must do it together and this is this is a good uh, picture of the husband and the wife the way that god has created the man and the woman to uh, bring about his glory through family and marriage and so with that i don't want to spend too much in recap because i have a lot to say because the scriptures have a lot to say about the role of the man, the role of the husband. And we would call that headship. Headship. Now, I'm just going to jump right into it this morning, but let's just remind ourselves in Ephesians 5, verse 23. And Paul writes... To the Ephesians, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, I, I, I had all of these notes for sun, last Sunday night, but in thinking through uh, what we talked about Sunday morning, I wanted to wait and give the rest of the remarks for today when the majority of people find their way in church and not everyone can make it in the evening and the reason why i wanted to wait is because last sunday as i explained sunday night i lit a bomb when i told you men that you are the head of your household and bombs are dangerous bombs can hurt people and when a man receives the truth of the headship of the home in the flesh, he will hurt people. Do we understand? And so today we have uh, the diffuser of that very bomb. And so, man, I need you to listen. And I need you to listen with the ear of the Spirit of God. Because apart from that, you are flirting with disaster. Men, as Ephesians 5, and this, you know, this isn't just for the women to tune out. It is very important for you to know as well, just as it's important to understand uh, how God has directed and called your husband. 
to fulfill his duties. But men, what we see in verse 2 is that God has given you a massive role to play. Do you understand what it is? It's to play the part of Christ. Now, you are not Christ. You cannot be Him. But you are a copy in your home of what Christ is to the church. That comes with great responsibility. The weight of that calling men should make you scared. It should make you feel overburdened. It should make you think it is impossible for me to act out the role of Christ in my home. But here's the beauty of Christ being the head himself. Is that when you fail as the head of your home, be reminded that Christ is your head. And He has loved you so much that He gave Himself for you. And He died for you. He shed His blood for your sin. And so what you need to remember as you go to lead your wife and your family in the impossible task of leading as Christ has led the church is that when Christ calls you, He equips you. And when He calls you and you stumble in repentance, He forgives you. So this is how we must begin and understand that you have been called into a task that is great, role that is uh, of high authority, of leadership, of direction for your home. Just as a head of the body leads the body or the person in the head of the line leads the line, you direct the, the outcome, the direction of your home. But with authority, understand, comes great responsibility. When someone says, I am in charge... They have to realize and understand that they are responsible for the outcome of what that they have said they are in charge of. Um, imagine if you're going to a concert or a sporting event and you've got the tickets, right? And you say, I'll be in charge of the tickets. I'll take care of those. Let me have them. I'll do it. And you get to the event and what's going to happen everyone is going to look to you to see how you handled your role in charge and if you have lost the tickets who is responsible for it the one who has authority the one who is in charge you cannot claim headship of your home without the responsibility of what it is you are in charge of. Now, with authority comes responsibility. With authority and responsibility comes accountability. Accountability. You elect local officials always, right? You give when you elect a local official, you have given them authority, right? And they will be held for the responsibility of the outcome of their term and of their doing. And how do you hold them accountable? You can vote them out or vote them back in, right? They, you have given them authority with your vote, but also with your vote you will hold them accountable. Men, you have the authority over your wife and your kids and your home. God has put you in office. He has given you the lead. He has made you responsible for their lives 
and their souls. Men, hear me. One day, you will give an account to God for that. You will be given, you will have to stand before God what you did with your authority, how you led your home. And here's what you can't say. They turned out all right. Well, you know, they're, they're still going to church. They're good-hearted kids. Or, you know, they didn't turn out that great, but I know that I worked real hard to provide for them, to give them every opportunity that they needed. These answers will not work because ultimately, when we talked about the role of the, the head of the home to lead, provide, and protect, ultimately, the most important aspect that that should touch is the spiritual. Because what you are dealing with are the souls of your wife and your kids. Did you raise your kids in the discipline and instruction the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Did you love your wife like Christ loved the church? And our response might be to kind of shrug that off. And in doing so, we take either one of two things lightly, God or this very topic of marriage. But we cannot forget that you as a husband are responsible for eternal things. Not just the mortgage. Not just that dinner's on the table. But for the souls of your family. One day, men, that lovely lady of yours that you lay down to, lay down next to each night, one morning, she will not wake up. Her body will lay beside you empty and her soul will go before the Lord. Yes, she will give an account of her own life. She will give an account of her relationship with Christ. But don't think for a second that you will avoid the words that God spoke directly to Adam after Eve was deceived in the garden by Satan and she disobeyed God. He will not hold responsible Eve, but he will say, Oh, Adam, did I not tell you? Did I not command you? You see, we all will be held guilt, or all held uh, either condemned or uh, declared innocent before God through our relationship or lack thereof with Christ. But we men will be held accountable to something, and that is the responsibility that we have over the souls of those who are in our care. Now, don't get me wrong, that doesn't mean that you can neglect the physical, that you can stay at home and not go to work and not pay the mortgage or pay the bills, provide the food for your family, or not to protect them from the physical things. But it becomes very easy to do the physical. And as we said last week, there are many men in this world who are atheists who protect and provide for their families well, physically. Here's the crazy thing about being the head of your wife. Is that you have influence over her soul. Look at, if, look at verses um, 25, 26, and 27. Husbands, you have influence over eternal things, namely... The eternal condition of your spouse. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Look what Christ is doing to the church. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So that he, Christ, might present the church, her, to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she, the church, might be holy and without blemish. Now, here's the the bomb that Jesus or that Paul drops here. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. For what purpose? 
for her sanctification, for her cleansing, for her being washed in the word, that she might be presented before God, holy, blameless, in splendor, without spot or wrinkle. And the same goes for your children, men. You're responsible for the raising of your children in the Lord. Let me say that again. You're responsible for the raising of your children in the Lord. Look at chapter 6, verse 4. Notice who Paul addresses. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This does not mean that you just make sure that they go to church. This does not mean that you just make sure that they read their Bible. This does not mean that you just make sure that they get baptized. Yes, that is a part of all of it. But your responsibility, fathers, and the the way the Greek works out these two words, um, nurture and admonition, uh, discipline and instruction, is that you are saturating the hearts and minds of your children in the Word, in the truth, in Christ. Educating them not just for the sake of a job or a career, but you are pouring over them the truth of Christ for the sake of raising disciples of Christ who see Christ as king and who keep his word as a foundation for all of their lives, all of truth, no matter what happens. Ephesians 6.4 directly commands the fathers that they are responsible for the raising of the children. Now, you might say, well, you spent quite a bit of time last week talking about how important it is that the woman raise and nurture the children. Exactly. Now, here's the next portion of understanding responsibility as a head. Responsibility as the head means that you not only do what you're supposed to do, but there are times that you delegate that which you cannot do. You delegate that which you cannot do. Um, Let let me help you with an illustration, a thought experiment. Adam's held responsible for uh, his family, just as we are. But imagine if God gave all the commands to Adam without his wife, without creating Eve. So God gives Adam this command, be fruitful and multiply, and Adam sits by himself. And Adam's response would be awkward silence, right? And let's just say God in his power gives, just gives Adam a child, a newborn. And he says, Adam, go and raise this child, nurture it, feed it. And Adam responds to God, well, he doesn't have teeth. Now imagine if he then said, okay, well, we'll work that out, but I just need you to raise this child to know how it ought to live. And Adam says, but I thought you wanted me to go work in the garden. God has made sure to give every man the responsibility that they he be fruitful and multiply, that he... Raise and nurture his children into little disciples, into full-grown disciples. It is Adam's responsibility, but there are some parts that Adam cannot do. He cannot feed that infant baby. He cannot give his devotion and life to raising it up while he also work in the garden. You see, Adam, we as men are to give over authority to the women, to our wives, to do the things that we cannot do, to delegate, but then not let go of responsibility. Here's an example, and I've already touched on it. A man comes home from work And his wife and the newborn meet him at the door and she's in tears because she's having such a hard time nursing little Billy. 
And she comes to him and says, this has been such a struggle. There's something not right. I don't know. And he goes, I can't help you. That's that's not my problem. He, He cannot feed. He cannot nurse little Billy. But you better understand that he is responsible for the precious life of little Billy. And he is responsible for the, the, the mental health of her, his wife. The struggles that she is in. And he must stop and say, yes, this is a problem. Let's figure it out. And he must have dominion over that house and say, you know what? I want to help help you solve this problem. But a husband has to also act in wisdom and in humility and remind himself that God did not create him to understand how it is best to raise that child. He's held responsible to raise that child, but he also must be wise enough to know that his wife might understand nursing a little bit more than he does. And so when the husband walks in, he's like, yes, it's time for me to take dominion over this situation. You're having troubles? I'll fix your troubles. Stop doing it. Let's go buy formula. And her response is, but that, I don't want to do that. But that solves the problem. I'm taking the headship and direction over this. You be quiet with that. Let's go get formula. You'll be happy. He'll be full. End. No. That is arrogance. That is ignorance. That is acting as a fool. This is the beauty of the creation that God made men away to fulfill their task and roles. God made women away to fulfill their task and roles. The man is head and he must make sure that all is being done for the glory of God. But he must also be wise enough to say, you might know more than me in this. Let me help you. It isn't walking in a room, headship isn't walking in a room, putting your thumb down, putting your foot down, and saying this is the way we ought to do it because I'm going to help fix the problem. Sometimes it's just listening. You see, the problem that we run into... The other aspect of it is is that the woman is in tears while the man is at work as she's trying to nurse little Billy. But when he comes home, she dries her eyes, pretends that nothing's wrong because she's been told by her head that's not his department. And so what does she do? She suffers. She struggles. And the man... In that very scenario, in both scenarios, he's worshiping his role. He is not loving his wife, and he is pushing her to resentment, not just to him, but to God and to her role, to her task. And that man is abdicating his authority. He is giving up his headship, even though he thinks He is actually doing it. We're living in a culture where men are weak. And not are are the men weak? They're creating fragile households. These weak men have become consumed either with their task of providing and have failed to protect. They've come, become consumed with their own comfort and aren't willing to take on the battles, the struggles that he is supposed to protect his family from. Not from bad guys. Not from hard work. But the man, the head, is to protect his wife from resentment. Exhaustion, anxiety, deception of Satan in the world, 
And he's failed to protect his children from secularism, worldlyism, progressivism, and all the pressures that come from the world to them. All of these things come to your spouse and your children from Satan and the world with the desire to consume them. Weak men do not pray for their spouse or with their spouse. They do not teach their kids the scriptures. Weak men do not pray with their families or prioritize Christ at home. Weak men do not pursue Christ. Weak men do not fear God. But strong men, godly men, men following Christ are men standing in front of their families with that lion-hearted attitude ready to conquer the enemies as it approaches. Even if that enemy says to your wife, you cannot feed your child. Men... Men have become self-focused and the culture pressing against us to be concerned about ourselves. And when we are concerned about ourselves, we do not want to be on the front lines. And that's what the head is to be in front. That's why it is called the head in front. But we don't want to be in front because we're because in the front is where work happens, where wounds are given, and when we're, where weariness takes place. And men today run from work, from wounds, and from weariness because we want comfort, because we're concerned about ourselves, or we want the things that the world has to offer. Men are to be like wave breakers. Men are to be like wave breakers. We build at all along our coastlines in certain areas. People build these strong wave breakers around what delicate coastlines. They build these strong, sturdy wave breakers to keep the coast from long-term erosion of the waters. Those wave breakers. Take beating after beating, wave after wave, all to guard and protect the glorious but delicate beaches that are behind them. This is how the Bible describes the difference between a man and a woman, a husband and the wife. Now I want you to think about this. The Bible says that men are wave breakers and women are glorious beaches. And that the men are there in front of them taking wave after wave, crash after crash, and doing so that the glory of the woman would be known and protected. And that glory is actually the glory of the man, Paul says. I want to read something to you. In preparation for next week, as we think about these two distinctions, this is in, I'm not making this up, this is in 1 Peter 3, don't go there, I just want you to listen, and then you can go back and read it later, but I want you to just listen. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that prayer, your prayers may not be hindered. Is everybody good with that one? Does anybody realize that I left something out? Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. There are Christians all around this world that have a lot of problem with Paul saying that. That men are to live in a way understanding to honor their wives as a weaker vessel. Now, I'm not going to dive into this. This will be next week. We cannot 
We cannot give in to what the world says about a man and a woman. We cannot give in to what they say, that women say, no, 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 we're strong and let us be in the front and break those waves. And the men come back and say, oh, we're delicate and glorious. That is not Genesis 1.1. God designed in perfection in His very design a man and a woman and has given them specific qualities, abilities, roles and tasks to be done. Why? And here's how we really got to think about this. For His purpose. For His purpose. Question yourself between now and next week, men and women. Is the Bible true? Even the parts the world says is wrong. Even the parts your flesh wants to turn away from. And perhaps even the parts you've already turned away from. And ask yourself, why? Why? And then ask yourself, well, how could I be missing this? Or what am I missing? Again, we'll come back to this next week. But here's how I want to conclude. and I want to give a list of ideas or words for each and every one of you men to hang on to. Because as I said before, and will acknowledge again, you will fail to love your wife as Christ loved the church. In every pure attempt to be head and authority, to lead and guide, you will take your lion-hearted attitude that should be towards the enemy and you will direct it towards your spouse. And so when... You are taking every thought captive because that's what we need to do, men. When we wake up, begin with every thought. And take it captive. Here are the words that need to be running through your mind and in your prayers. The pillars of what make the head of a house. Number one, love. This is the obvious one. The sacrificial love of Christ. Now, what I also want you to understand, men, is that that does not mean that the the calluses on your hands tell your wife that you love her. They do. They do. But God is really smart. And He intentionally tells men to love their wives multiple times in this passage because He knows, you know what what makes, you know what your wife thrives on? Your love. And when you say, yeah, I love you, see my calluses? I went and got these today because I love you. She needs to know that you love her. With the love of Christ. Your daddy might not have been able to say I love you to your mama or even to you. But I'm telling you, a strong man tells his wife that he loves her and shows it not just by working hard but he works hard to 
figure out how to express to her today that he loves her. Love, care. Care is the second one. He says, he says, so he might, in verse 20, uh, verse 28, in the same way husbands love your wives as their own bodies, he who loves his uh, he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. You men, heads, are supposed to nourish and cherish your wife. That's the same word, nourish, nurture, that we think when we think of wives nurturing children. So, you are the first example to your wife in what it looks like to care and nurture. You are an example to her in how she ought to nurture and care for your children. It's starting to sound a little feminine, right? No one wants to nurture or care for anybody. In all reality, that's just as masculine as it gets. To care for your wife like Christ nurtures and cares for you. Number three, honor. Honor. Not your honor. Her honor. And when we talk of honor, we talk of value. We talk of value. Live in a way, this is 1 Peter 3, in a way of understanding and honoring your wife. And when you live in a way that honors your wife, you are expressing to her, your children, and the world around you how valuable she really is. We'll speak more on that next week. Number one, two, three, four. Number four, wisdom. Wisdom does not mean you know it all. Wisdom sometimes says an acknowledgement that you don't know anything. You catch it? Sometimes wisdom says, I'm going to have to defer here to the one who knows more. Now this is a struggle that we men feel because inherently you feel that you should lead because that's how you were created. But we cannot let pride get in the way and say, when I don't fully understand like my wife was designed by God to know better and then not defer to her, we are acting as a fool, not as someone who is wise. And we men have talked about that for two weeks now on our Tuesday mornings of seeking wisdom. And that's why we are making it a, a habit on Tuesday mornings to go and walk through a proverb every morning because that is the wisdom of God to a man. And number five, almost un, connects to all of these, and that's humility. Humility. Now, Imagine Christ as the head. When did he become his most exalted? After his greatest humiliation. After he was lowered into the grave. Was it then afterwards he was exalted as the king of kings and the lord of lords? So men... As Christ says, those to be great must be last. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. Humility is the only way we can operate as heads of family like Christ is the head of the church. Only in laying down our selves, our lives, our interests, our desires. We don't come home 
at the end of the day, say, I've worked so hard. I need to just relax. I need to sit on my throne. Now, we come home at the end of the day and valuing the work of our helper. How was your day? What's going on with you? How can I help? Humility. Service. Loving our wives the way Christ loved the church. Now I want to just close this morning with a quote. A quote from a book I've been I've been reading through. And I've shared this quote with uh, a few of my friends. And I'm going to read it. And then I want us to talk about it just a little bit. In a home that's led by a Christian husband, there shall be many graces that are part of an aroma which is pervasive through the home. Such a man shall never speak to his wife without affection and courtesy. When he sins, he shall make all appropriate restitution. He must be a rock in his home, a small pebble that somehow, by the grace of God, pictures the rock that is Christ. Now, an aroma. We men want our homes to be an aroma of grace, of love. You know when you walk into a house and someone's baking an apple pie? And you know it, right? You know it right off. And it's in every corner of the house. Or bacon. It's like, I'd rather do bacon. Bacon, right? Okay. You know it. Men, we want people to walk into our homes and be smacked in the face with the aroma of the graces of Christ. Not because we say it, but because we love our wives like Christ has loved the church. And it is pervasive. It is throughout the home. And everyone knows it when they walk in. That's what we want. And it takes such hard work. So hard. You will be working. You will get wounded. And you will be weary. But it is so worth it. To imitate Christ in our homes. He says, Such a man shall never speak to his wife without affection and courtesy. Now let me back up for a second actually. Let me back up for a second. Do you know what the world says about homes and churches who read the Bible for what it says when it comes to the roles of men and women? They say, Oh, poor pitiful woman. She is oppressed. She is under his authority. She, we must save her from that. But let me tell you what. The home that has the aroma of the graces of Christ Jesus from a husband who is acting as a head, imitating Christ. Let me tell you something about that woman. She is the freest of women. She is unburdened due to the fact that her husband is taking responsibility. Unlike the men who need their wives to work to help provide to make sure that they get the bills paid while still insisting that she do what she's called to by God to rear and nurture her children. Christian homes should have women who are the freest of women, unburdened by their husbands. Properly led, properly loved Christian women live in homes where patience isn't just an idea, but a reality. Where forgiveness is, it is that which we feed on. Christian women who live under godly men, who love them like Christ loved the church, they can live with their guard down. They can live with their guards down because they are safe from the outside and from the inside. That's what we're after. 
That's why when we read Psalm, um, I think it was 128, we read it last week. What did it say about about the faithful man? He says, um, Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. That's what we desire, men. That's what we desire. Such a man shall never speak to his wife without affection and courtesy. Men, do not bark orders to your wife like she's a servant. That is the fruit of headship and flesh. When you bark at your wife like she's your servant. Speak to her with courtesy. Means to speak to her with honor and value and dignity. Expressing her worth. She is your queen, not your servant. Do not speak to your wife as if she's one of the guys. She's your wife, your lover, your companion, bone of your bone, flesh of your flesh. Speak to her with lovingly affection so that she knows that you love her. Guard every word that comes to your mind, men. This, I've been thinking about this. Our tongues are evil. Every word that comes to your mouth at home, take it captive. Filter it. Run it through the filter that says affection and courtesy, affection and courtesy, affection and courtesy. Men say it over and over again. I want to speak to my wife with affection and courtesy over and over again. And every thought that comes to your mind, take it through that filter. And then the next part of it is when he sins, he shall make all appropriate restitution. When that word comes off your tongue that speaks to her like a servant, that lowers her value, that reduces her dignity, ask your wife to forgive you. Confess your sin and repent. Confess and, 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 and repent when you exalt yourself in pride and arrogance. Confess and repent when you neglect to lead your family towards Christ and His glory. Make all appropriate restitution. Don't just say, you know, I did that. She's not really acting bad about it. There's not really a problem. You know, life's going well. Happy wife, happy life. I'm good. If you have sinned in your home, make all appropriate restitution. Confess and repent and ask for forgiveness. And that goes for your kids and grandkids too. Now here we have to conclude it with you, head of the home, a godly man, must be a rock in his home, right? And we can we, we like that analogy, a rock. But he goes on to say, a small pebble. A small pebble. As the head of your home, the rock, you will be tempted to think you are a mountain. You will be t tempted to think that nothing can go past you. Nothing can go over you. Nothing can go around you. But in the light of your head, Lord Jesus Christ, you are nothing but a pebble. And the only way, the only way to give glory to the rock of ages is to remind yourself that you are just a pebble. Pointing, pointing, pointing to Jesus Christ, your head, your rock. So I want to conclude with a reminder and a verse. The verse is 1 Corinthians 16, 13. It says, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. Now we like that first sentence, but we cannot forget the last. That all that we do be done in love. Cleanse yourself from the world's definition of manhood. 
which used to be like masculine, like you think strong, but now it's actually going the opposite way. Weak, passive. We must realize that our, as our strength isn't in our muscles. Our strength is in Him whom we have faith in, Christ Jesus. Our, our strength isn't in how loud we can talk. It's not in how hard we can work. Our strength in how is, is in how willing we are to give of ourselves for the sake of our families. That is where our strength is. And so again, I want to remind you, I'm not yelling all this at you because I got it figured out. Men, all of us, must be in confession and repentance and striving and striving to be that pebble that points to Christ. The husband who loves his wife, who honors her, speaks to her as her queen and cares for her. Lion-hearted and lamb-like. Remember from last week? Lion-hearted and lamb-like. Tonight we'll look at that a little bit closer. What it means? What Christ? What it means that Christ was the Lion of Judah and the slain Lamb. Remember your head, Jesus Christ, the one who gave Himself for you. So as we pursue headship, we must pursue Christ. And if you are not pursuing Christ, I call you to, to faith and repentance today. To trust in Him. To trust in His blood that cleanses us of all unrighteousness. To trust in His resurrection to justify the payment that He made on our behalf. To trust in the One who is seated at the, on the right hand of the throne of God today. Trust in the One who is returning bring back himself to his creation to bring a new earth to bring a kingdom that has no end trust in him repent and be baptized into Christ Jesus and join the body of Christ let's pray father might you be glorified in what we have sought to understand today might you help us? Would you humble us? God, would you begin with us men, as husbands and fathers? For the sake of your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.